Well, we're going to be in the book of Matthew again, Matthew in chapter number six, Matthew in chapter number six, if you'll find your place there. Always glad to have guests here with us. Good to see uh, some back that have been ill, not able to be here and good to see God answering prayer for them being able to be in attendance. While you're finding your place there in Matthew 6, tonight we, uh, we have a special prayer meeting. Our theme this year is, is that we are to pray like Jesus told us to pray, that he might send forth laborers into his harvest. And so uh, once a month, uh, we've been praying in a special way for a particular part of the harvest field. So, uh, for example, last, actually last month, we prayed that God would bless the uh, events of the summer, junior camp, vacation Bible school. So I want to thank God this morning that he's done that and enabled children to be saved. We had two saved this last week, I believe, at camp. So that's a real blessing. And uh, Lord's protection and blessings on them um, as they traveled there and back. And uh, so that was really wonderful. Tonight we're praying five o'clock. The locations are in the announcement sheet. But tonight's focus is on the need for the gospel in Africa. And so Brother Hainline is going to highlight that for the men and the ladies will have their own time as well where the countries of Africa will be highlighted and the need for the gospel in Africa uh, presented. And so I hope you'll join us uh, tonight, five o'clock, a little bit earlier. Of course, the service starts at six. But uh, the Lord told us what to do when the need for the gospel was greater than the number of laborers. And that, that began with prayer. Pray. Pray that God would send uh, the number of laborers needed. And I believe he can do that. And I believe he's doing just that. So that's very in encouraging. All right. Matthew chapter six here this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter number six. And we'll begin reading verse number one. Now our text is not going to start until verse nine. So I'm just going to skip down a little bit uh, just to help us all to get the context here a little bit. He says, take heed, Jesus does, speaking by the way to his disciples in the presence of the multitude, in terms of how to reach them, he's giving them this, this guidance. <clears throat> Take heed, he says, that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. And then he goes further, describing how they ought to give and how they ought not to give. Um, he says, therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee. Don't have a uh, parade before you give today to the offering. All right. Um, don't have trumpeters to get people's attention. He says, that's what the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Why do they do that? Well, that they may have glory of men. Verily. I say unto you, they have their reward. What, what was it? That was it. The applause of man. All right, now he says in verse 5, everybody follow me here. Uh, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be what? Seen of men. Seen of men, verily I say unto you, they have their reward, same reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou, ha when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee, how? Openly. 
All right. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions, he says in verse seven, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. That's good. <clears throat> All right. Verse nine and following is probably going to be fairly familiar to a good number here today, if not the majority, when Jesus said this. All right. So in contrast to that, don't pray like that. Here's how you ought to pray. Verse nine, after this manner, therefore pray ye our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, verse 14, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so we'll stop our reading there. The next section is about fasting. That's a popular Baptist subject. We'll come to that another time. So this morning, uh, we're going we're gonna to consider this. Our, our theme, for those of you that are joining here, maybe just coming in on this Sunday morning, our theme through the book of Matthew is Jesus is king. It's not, it's not that he's going to be king. He is king. He is king. And we're to live our lives today under his authority. So we're considering, well, what does that look like? What does that look like? And he's helping us. He's helping us know how to pray. And so I've entitled the message today this, The Way to Pray When God is Your Father. The Way to Pray When God, what a, what a privilege. Undeserved. That we may call Him our Father. How to pray, the way to pray when God is your father. So may God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll consider what Jesus said to his disciples then and what he says to us here today. Looking back over uh, Brother Sam's notes, uh, we taught this section of scripture in our adult Sunday school classes a few years ago and uh, very, very helpful. He begins... Um, or has this, this statement, I think it'd help us all to kind of tune in here this morning about the matter of prayer. Is there anything in your Christian life more difficult for you than maintaining a meaningful time of secret prayer? Well, I think I could probably answer that for every Christian here today. No, there's probably nothing more challenging to have just time between you and God not vain formality says, not for self-glory, but a meaningful, meaningful meeting with God in secret prayer. He goes on, you, you see the other things that believers grapple with, such as doubt, fear, lust, pride, etc., are more difficult to deal with because of a lack of secret prayer. 
So I, I want to encourage everybody here today. Now, there may be somebody here that doesn't know Christ as Savior. I want, to, I want to talk to you about that here today because that's the most important thing that everybody here needs to know is that, yeah, that, that and by the way, the Bible teaches that you can know that, that your sins are forgiven, that you have a right relationship with God and that God is your father. You say, well, I, I thought God was everybody's father. Not according to the Bible, not according to what Jesus said. You say, well, what about the fatherhood of God of all men? Well, he's the creator of all mankind. There's no denying of that. He created you. He created every person that's on upon the earth today. He created all. But according uh, to what Jesus said, he said to the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders that thought they were something. He said, you're of your father, the devil. So that right there tells you Jesus did not hold to the fatherhood of, of, of man like many times it's taught today that God's just everybody's father. That's not true because you must be born again. You've got to be born into God's family. Now, if you've trusted Jesus as your savior, then you are born into God's family and you can righteously, rightly call God your father. All right. So we want to, we want to deal with that. I want to make that abundantly clear here today and, and even the way that you might be. But Jesus right here is instructing his disciples and he's drawn a contrast between the way that the scribes and Pharisees, the religious elite of their day, how they pray, prayed, try to get everybody's attention versus how he wanted his disciples to pray. And that was to pray with privacy and exclusion because it's hard to impress people when you're all by yourself. All right. Now, that's a deep thought right here, right? Yeah, you can't impress others when you're by yourself unless you have to tell everybody about it, right? So we're all in danger of this. And, and so the prayers of the Pharisees was hypocritical. The prayers of the pagans was mechanical. They prayed a lot of words that they didn't, they didn't even think about mindlessly uh, going through words. Hey, the believer has a relationship. So this ought not be hypocritical. It ought to be real and ought not be mechanical. Um, and so we can get some help right here. Much of what is uh, being covered in this passage is, uh, is not so much Jesus teaching us how to pray so that we see God answer uh, in a major way, like big prayer requests, although our God is able to do that. But what Jesus is teaching us here is how to have the right attitude as his disciple when you pray. The right spirit, the right mindset on, on how to pray. This past week, my son Trenton, um, he preached at junior camp. They have a preaching competition for the, for the young men and they are given five minutes. All right. Now, in my world, five minutes is just announcing the text, right? And reading a little bit of the text. But so he preached for four minutes and 57 seconds on prayer and the reverence that we're supposed to have in prayer. I heard it twice. He preached it at home and he, as he had, you know, a table there in the living room and he preached it to us. But he, uh, he started off, you know, with an illustration about how not to pray and he began to pray that God, you would help the help OU win a national championship again and help the Cardinals beat the Cubs. And I was saying amen right there. But anyways, he was praying this and that. And, and he prayed for, you know, just a couple, you know, a um, uh, few seconds or whatever. But just and then he said and then he said this amen. And then he said, that's not right. That's not that's just not right. That's not that's not reverent prayer. He's on to something. He's on to something. 
He looked at my notes uh, yesterday. He was in the office and he looked at my notes on prayer and he said, hey, you're preaching what I preached. I said, yeah, could I borrow your notes? You know, so <laughs> anyways, and look, uh, a 12 year old understands that when you come before God, you ought to come with reverence. And respect. I don't think I don't think we come before God with dead formalism, like you know, uh, like uptight and, and and stiff. No, He's your Father. You can talk to Him. I don't expect when my sons come into my presence that they say something like this to me: "Oh, thou Jason Gaddis, son of Raymond Gaddis, son of John Gaddis, son of..." No, I don't expect that uh, from Bowling Green, Kentucky. No, 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 no. I, he, they're probably just going to say something like this: "Hey, Dad." You, you know what I mean? Hey, Dad, uh, hey, could I talk to you about this or, or that? Hey, Dad, could I have some money? I mean, that's usually how it goes, right? But, but I, only, I expect that they would, we would have that relationship. Now, I think that as a, as a dad and a son to a dad, there ought to be re respect. There's reverence that's there. Do you understand that balance that's there? And so, but listen, we're, we're talking about a real relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. And Jesus taught us how to pray. And so we're going we're to look at this, and I think it'll be a help to all, but what we've got to avoid is, is being what we talked about last time we were in Matthew chapter 6, and that was this, glory hogs. Remember that? Glory hogs. And how that uh, these, well, I mean, you know, you think about somebody that's a ball hog, then they're wanting the ball all the time, where here the scribes and the Pharisees, they were glory hogs. They wanted all the glory. Well, it's not just scribes and Pharisees that want that. Sometimes we want the same. We want people to say, oh man, listen to that. He prayed so well. That was good. <laughs> Lottie dotty, everybody, right? I mean, what is that? What does that do? Nothing, right? No, it's not about us. And that, that's what we're in danger of is making it about us. It's hypocritical. Uh, a hypocrite. Let me, let me review a little bit of this here this morning. A hypocrite is somebody that pretends to be something that he or she is not. It's anyone who treats the world like a stage and they're the main character, you see. Um, it's not right to pretend to try to honor God when your real desire is to try to get glory from others. It's not right to use God. That's, that's the way I like to say it. It's not right to use God to make yourself look good. And that would be true of anybody that's trying to sing or preach or give or witness uh, or anything else in the Christian life. Okay. It's not right to use God to make yourself look good. Now, let's just be honest. If we're not careful, we can get into side glances. I wonder if anybody notices how I'm doing right here. Are you following me? Hey, I know, I, know, I know it's kind of a good morning to sleep in because it's wet and rainy outside, but let, we got to tune in here this morning, right? Because we need this because I'm telling you, that's, we, are, we are in danger of the same thing today as what Jesus said his disciples were back then that we, we kind of wonder, I wonder if anybody's noticing how well I'm doing. Oh, mercy. Stop that right now, right? Are you with me? We got to stop that because really we ought to be most concerned about his honor and his glory. Yeah. Our focus our focus has got to be on his presence, not our own. His focus, his presence. So our, our manner of prayer ought to be different. After this manner, therefore pray ye. He's just said, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the heathen. But after this 
manner. How can you have a meaningful time with God using this as a model, as a guide, without being mechanical? Because uh, I don't think Jesus is expecting us just to begin to say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you getting what I'm doing right now? I mean, I can do that out of rote memory. But there must be something here that Jesus wanted to get us to get. Oftentimes this is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. When really it's more what the disciples are supposed to pray. Now I think we can refer to it as the Lord's Prayer because He's the one who gave it as a model. But think about this. Jesus doesn't have to pray, forgive us our debts. Because he has none. He never sinned. So this is not Jesus' prayer. Okay, this is our prayer that he taught us how to pray. All right, so that being said, uh, let's get into a little bit more of it. All right, now I want you to notice this back in your Bibles again. Um, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. Verse 11, 12, and 13, give us, forgive us, deliver us. Thy, 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 us, us, us. Everybody see that? All right. So the first focus of the prayer is this way. God words. There's two parts to this prayer. And the first part, watch this, is exclusively focused on God and his glory. And once we get that focus right, then, and really only then, can we begin to ask the petitions that we have. All right? So we need, we need that focus. Um, it's easy to get our focus off there. One man said this, the order is significant. We are not to be so taken up with ourselves that we rush into God's presence and give him a shopping list of our needs. It's focused on him first. Um, and it, and it's, uh, it's easy. I, I, I tried to exercise this here this morning as we had our men's prayer meeting. And if I'm going to preach it, I better practice it, right? And it helped me this morning. It helped me, it helped me in this way because I need to remember and you need to remember to whom it is that we pray. Because we can just kind of rush in and say, God, please bless the day. Please help this person. Please bless this. Please, God, I got a big, I got this, I got that. And it, that's all self-focused. Jesus said, get your focus off of yourself and get your focus on our Father. And so he said, our Father, which art in heaven. Our Father. Now, let's just pause here a little bit to consider some major, major great truths. Our Father. You realize how big that is? That we sinful people can call him our father. That's, that in itself is the gospel. Because we all were born in sin. Friend, listen this morning. You were born in sin. Every one of us. You, you did not have to be instructed. There was not a class on how to sin. You didn't need that class. 
You, you knew how to sin. We all know how to sin because we are sinners. We are sinners by our very nature. And that is why that you must be born again. And that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You got to be born into God's family. And here he was a very religious, I mean, one of the Pharisees. And yet Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, it does not matter how much good you have done or how much that you know, you've got to be born into God's family. And I'm saying to you this morning, friend, listen, you need to be born into God's family. God wants to be your father, but you've got to trust Jesus as your savior. And, and you, can't, you can't earn God's favor on your own merits. No, but you can trust what Jesus did. He was crucified for you, buried in that grave and then resurrected and appearing unto others alive today and able to save you today. And so salvation is exclusively in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you trust him as your savior, you can call him your father. And that's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our father, which art in heaven. Uh, my, the, the idea that God is our father means he's loving. The truth that he is in heaven means that he is powerful. So our Father, our loving Heavenly Father, maybe you didn't have a dad that was loving, but I want to tell you something about God the Father. God is a loving Heavenly Father. And if you, if you, maybe your dad's not been involved in your life. Listen, the heavenly father is involved in your life when you're saved and daily involved in your life. And he's a loving heavenly father and he's powerful. Our father, which art in heaven, that speaks of his power and his majesty and his might. Stories told, I believe it's William Barclay that told the story of a, of a, a gathering, a, like a, basically a big, a big parade back in the days of an emperor. And, and there was much fanfare as people were lining the streets to see the emperor as he came down and, and, and all the, the uh, trumpets were blasting. I mean, it was just a, a big day. And one child started to run out to where the emperor was and the man tried to stop him. He said, wait a minute, boy, wait a minute, son, you can't do that. And the young man said this, he may be your emperor, but he's my father. And he was going to go right to him. Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. The Lord God Almighty, according to the word, the word of God here this morning, you can call him your father if you know him by salvation. Our father, which art in heaven. What are you facing today that he can't take care of? If he's in heaven, he's above all and his power is above all. Our father. See, what we do is we kind of jump down to give us to say our daily bread. And forgive us and deliver us. And we need all that. But let's go back to remember just who he is. And when you remember that he is our heavenly father, then you can ask your petitions with confidence. He hears me. He loves me. He's able. Our father, which art in heaven. And then he says this, hallowed. Hallowed. What does hallowed mean? Hallowed. Hallowed means set apart. It's the word from which we get the word holy. Holy is your name. Now, I want to tell you something. Jesus said, pray this way. Hallowed be thy name. His name is already holy. What we're supposed to do is treat it as such. Treat it as hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. In other words, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Now, the way you need to pray about this is you need to remember that the Father is holy and His name is holy. And so everything about your life ought to be like that. Right. Hallowed be thy name. God, help me to live in such a way that reflects your holiness. 
God, help me uh, even as I pray to remember that you're a holy God. Hey, listen, that's why we try to conduct services here that are not wild and that are not worldly in its, in its approach or, or that feels more like a rock concert here. Listen, friend, because this is not a rock concert. This is not, a, is everybody listening to this? Is this making sense here? Hallowed be thy name. And, and the way that we approach him ought to be with reverence and respect. Hallowed be thy name. You're holy. You're other than. You're set apart from others. Hallowed be thy name. Then he says this, thy kingdom come. Well, what does that mean? That means his kingdom is coming. That means it's a literal kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Well, that means it's going to come. Thy kingdom come. So all millennialism is wrong. The idea that there's no kingdom, but that it's a spiritual kingdom. False. It is a literal kingdom, according to Jesus. And also post-millennialism. Are, are you doing all right? I'm not trying to use big terms. I'm just trying to say, some say that, that we are going to usher in the kingdom. That's not going so swell. We're not, we're not going to usher in the kingdom. Post-millennialism is wrong. The only position that fits the Bible is what's called pre-millennial, which means this, the king's got to come to set it up. I'm not going to set it up. You're not going to set it up. It's not like we're in some kind of just spiritual kingdom and that there's not a real kingdom coming. No, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Not my kingdom, but thy kingdom. We're not going to bring it in, but he's going to bring it in. Yeah. Well, this is good stuff right here. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, it's very clear God's will is not being done on earth. But his will is being done in heaven. And Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the first part of the prayer begins this way. I need to remember how great God is, how loving God is, how majestic God is, how holy God is. And I need to submit my will to his will, my kingdom to his kingdom, because my kingdom's a piddly little kingdom. Are you following me? And my will is a piddly little will, and my name's a piddly little name, but don't we get our focus in the wrong place as we focus on our name, our kingdom, our will? Mm. Yesterday I went up to pick up the boys at the school and they were just shooting some ball for about an hour and came back in, came in there and I started shooting some ball with them and believe it or not, I was hitting it. I was not believing it. It was at the three point line and just, I don't know what it was, but my focus was on, I'm not bragging, this would be totally against what I'm preaching right now. I mean, just like totally obliterating everything I've said. So this is totally an illustration. And I'm telling you, the boys were surprised. They said, dad, What's going on? I don't know. Just keep throwing me the ball. And so I guess I had about six in a row where they were just going. But there was something different about it because I've always struggled with that. I played baseball and football, not basketball. I knew I grew up in a basketball state. I should know. It's, but we're not all born with basketballs, you know, and, and knowing how to play and, and so forth. So anyways, but, but here's, here's what it was. I was seeing the goal real clear. But, but, then, but, then, but then, you know what I did? I got to thinking about it. The fact that I was seeing the goal clear and then it got fuzzy again. And then it was like the old Jason was back, <laughs> missing everything. Yep. I said to Trevor on the way home, so how do you shoot basketball? I said, do you, do you like focus on the goal? <laughs> I was being silly. He said, yeah, what, ha <laughs> he said, what have you been focusing on? <laughs> 
I said, I'm just kidding. It just it's something clicked today, you know. Anyways. You know, in living our Christian lives, we can get our focus off. Because you, you can get focused on is that right? <laughs> yourself or something else. And if, if we're not focusing on, I, I realize this illustration breaks down real quick. I get that. But if we're not focusing on God ought to be glorified and he's able, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss the point. The Christian life is not about us enjoying life. Now, I think we can enjoy life. And we can have joy more abundantly. But our real focus ought to be on God is great and he ought to be glorified. We got to get that right first. And and once we see and we get in our focus, just I I feel like I'm coming up so short of it even here this morning, to be quite honest with you, to to really try to emphasize in our minds that, that we would be consumed with him obsessed with him rather than obsessed with ourselves. I think that's where we miss it in the Christian life. Even as we come to a church service, we kind of get obsessed with ourselves rather than being obsessed with him. What would happen in our lives if we really truly got our focus on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? My soul, what a difference that would make. Really truly. Because the next three needs that are mentioned are very important to God and he wants to take action on on them in your life. In fact, I like what uh, a man named John Stott said. He said that these three needs actually represent all the needs that we have, these three categories. And I'd never thought about it that way, but let me run it by and see what you think. Give us this day our daily bread. That's our physical needs. Now, you and I, we have, we have cupboards and we have deep freezes and refrigerators. And you go to the grocery, hopefully once a week. Isn't that what your goal? That's what my goal is. Well, I don't even go. Anyways, my wife. <laughs> but in those Bible times and in many places of the world, it's a day by day existence as they're trying to get something to eat. Are you following me? Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, he's expecting that we would pray daily. Daily recognizing our utter dependence on him. Daily. Now, I want to ask you, Okay, because I want to try to help you as, as your pastor, because I've had to deal with this myself as well. Do you realize pastors have a hard time having a daily prayer life too? <gasps> you can't. You, you get paid to pray. <laughs> no, that's not true. It's, I don't pray because I get paid to. I pray because I'm a Christian. Now, I pray because I'm a pastor because I desperately need God's help. Don't you know? Well, you need just as much the help of God as I do because we're all made of the same stuff, of course. But I'm asking you today, do you have a daily prayer time? Do you have a daily prayer life? That's a good place to start, isn't it? We've already covered if you're saved or not. But if you are saved, do you have a daily prayer time? 
Or have you been negligent of that daily prayer time? Because we do need it, don't you? We do need it. There's been times when it's been more real and fervent in my life than at other times. Due to busyness, sometimes due to experience, because you've done something long enough, you think, I know how to do this. Oh, listen, we couldn't do one thing without him. We need to pray daily. Give us this day our daily bread. That's our physical needs. Then, then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's our spiritual needs. Forgive us our debts. Just as much as you need food, you need to be forgiven. Spiritually. Now, when you're saved, you're saved forever. The Bible teaches that. It's very clear. But daily, we're also sinning against God and sinning against others. God, forgive me. Sin hinders our relationship. When things aren't right between me and my spouse or me and my sons or me and friends, or you and friends, you and your spouse, etc., what is it that's complicating things? Pride and selfishness. Is that right? That's what's, that's what's messing it up. Pride and selfishness. That is the essence of sin. So forgive us, dear God, of our debts. Why, why does he say debts? Well, that's because we owe God our full obedience. And when we come up short of full obedience, we are now indebted to God. Now, I know Jesus paid our price, but do you understand what he's teaching us to pray? He's teaching his disciples who were saved to pray daily, to pray often, I think. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors, he also, and then he put the addendum down on the bottom of that to say, now listen, you need to forgive others because it'd be wrong to come to God seeking forgiveness while withholding it from somebody else. Is there somebody that you need to forgive that maybe while your prayer life's all messed up? Is there somebody that you ought to forgive? Hey, listen, we nurse our, we, we nurse, we tend to nurse our wounds in, the, in a wrong sense. You follow what I'm saying? And, and when offended, we just hold on to that and say, I'm not forgiving them. I'm not forgiving them because of what they, they've done. And, then, and then, then we do this. God, please forgive me. Man, I messed up. I messed up so bad. I blew it. I mean, I just totally blew it. What about them? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not forgiving them because look what they did. Why, why would God forgive you when you're not willing to forgive others? That's what he's teaching us. That's what he's, that's what he's trying to get it across to us. You say, how can I forgive them for all that they've done? Our Father, which art in heaven. Did you catch it? His authority. Thy kingdom, thy will. See, to, to be able to get the answer to prayer here, I had to go back to the first part to remember to whom I pray. Because he'll give you the ability. And he'll give you the, the power that you don't have. I don't have. We don't have. But when we go to him, he has everything we need and then some. Our physical needs can be met through a heavenly father that's loving. Our spiritual needs can be met through a heavenly father that's loving. And, and then the final one, he says, deliver us. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that would be our moral needs. Our moral needs. That would be this. And when he says, deliver us from evil, the idea is that Satan is evil. He's the evil one. And there is evil in the world. And I and you are very susceptible to it. 
Now, God cannot be tempted with evil, the book of James says, and He doesn't tempt anybody with evil. So Jesus is not saying the Father is going to lead you into that kind of temptation. No, 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 that's not it at all. But what He's saying is this, as my disciple, you need to recognize that you live in a very sin, sinful world and in you is the desire to have your own way and you need to pray that God would help you and deliver you rescue you, that's the word deliver, rescue you from you and rescue you from Satan. Deliver you from Satan's devices, deliver you from Satan's schemes, deliver you from the deceitfulness of sin in this world because it can look so good, but it can mess your whole life and your family, your testimony, your church family can have such a huge ramification. And so Jesus taught his disciples, pray that God might deliver you. See, he's teaching us this. Focus on the greatness of your father, not the not the size of your need. Because if you get focused here, you can get depressed. I heard it this week. Um, individual said, somebody that gets depressed is thinking three things. And we all think them. I'm worthless. My situation is impossible and my future is bleak. You ever think something like that? I'm not asking for anybody to stand up and give testimony right now, but I'm just saying, you ever think, man, I'm terrible, horrible, no good. Well, I mean, you got something there. There is none good, no, not one. Okay, I understand that. But the point was this, I'm worthless. My situation is impossible. It's never going to change. This is just how it's going to be. In my future, there's, there's really no future there. Our Father, you are not worthless. <laughs> you have more significance than what I can even begin to explain since He's your Father. He's your Father. That means you're his son or his daughter. You have great significance. If you're not saved today, I say to you, he died in your place. He shed his blood for you. You have worth. You're not worthless. Your situation is not impossible because he's our father, which art in heaven. Your future is not bleak because his kingdom is coming. And his will will be done. I'm telling you, we have no reason to, to succumb to depression or discouragement because he's our great heavenly father. Amen. Praise his holy name. And I believe Jesus gave us this prayer. Number one, to help us not to pray with self-glory in mind where we're 
all about us because really when we focus on worship and we focus on surrender and, and, and focus in on uh, who he is and his name and his will, that's all about his glory. But even the fact that he supplies my daily need, that is for his glory. And the fact that he forgives me of my sin, that's to his glory, not to mine. And the fact that, that he also is delivering me from the evil one and delivering you from the evil one, that is for his glory, friend. And so no wonder he ends the prayer this way, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And it ends in praise. It began in worship and it ends in praise because it's all about God, not about us. I believe that's why he taught us this. To get our minds off of ourselves and get our minds on the right goal. Let me ask you. Maybe you're having a hard time in your prayer life. What can you do to try to enhance your prayer life? Maybe use the prayer that Jesus gave as a catalyst or way to prime the pump for your prayer life. Okay, here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> Sometime this week, after all this rain, surely you're going to have to go out and weed eat. And you're probably going to have to push the bulb, right, on that weed eater. Pull the, you ever try to pull it without priming it? <laughs> You can lose your testimony doing that, right? You prime, you prime it, you prime it, and then pull. I think in a lot of ways, this is how this is. It's, it's like priming. I need to remember, I need to begin with worship. I need to remember to whom it is that I pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. Wow. Think about his names. Think about how he's known Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. He'll see to it. The Lord, our righteousness, the Lord, our healer, the Lord, our shepherd, Alpha, Omega, the beginning, the end. I mean, you think about the names of God, and I guarantee you can go a while. When I taught PSD, Brother Andrew Albert teaches it now, personal spiritual development at the school, we'd work on this passage, and, and I'd ask the students, okay, on the whiteboard, tell me some of the names of God, and they'd start naming the names of God, and I'd write them down. Now tell me some of the attributes of God. He's holy, he's just, he's righteous, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere present, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, all these things, I'm writing them down as fiercely and as fast as I can, and, and then... And and tell me some of the things that he's done in your life. And they begin to do that. And I shorthand that and, and they talk about his deeds. And then, then I say, okay, now tell me some things. Are there some things that you need to surrender to God? Oh man, and then the list just grows. Things that I need to surrender to God. And, and uh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Are there some things that you need to depend on God and then list out the things that you need to depend on God about. And, and then some things, some areas where you need to ask for forgiveness. Is there some areas where you need to ask forgiveness? And we, I don't write all that down, but they, they mentioned, yes, there is. And, and there's, there are ways that you need to be delivered. And we think about people that we need to be delivered from. And we think about ideas we need to be delivered from. And think about... Uh, uh, think about how that we need to be delivered from our own self and our own will and write all that down and then praise. Or there's some things that you can praise God. There are six categories here. Then I like to ask this and I'm asking you, could you worship God for 10 minutes? Could you surrender to God for 10 minutes? Could you acknowledge your dependence on God for 10 minutes? Could you confess your sins for 10 minutes? Well, you say, I think I might need 20 
Could you recognize areas where you need to be delivered for 10 minutes? Could you praise God for 10 minutes? I may have missed one of those areas where you're dependent on God. Could you acknowledge God where there's some areas where you're dependent on God for your bills and for your kids and for, and for your, your future and all these things? Could you recognize that? Then that's, that's about 10 minutes each. That's a good solid hour of prayer. Look, the goal is not, well, I want to have an hour of prayer. Like clock in, clock out. That's mechanical. But this could really prime the pump, so to speak, spiritually. Just spend some time. I'm not saying set a timer and worship God for 10 minutes and click and then go to the next thing. No, that's too mechanical. But just, just to begin and follow exactly what I challenge you this week in your prayer time, follow the pattern that Jesus gave us. It may change your prayer life. Somebody said this, prayer changes things, mainly you. Prayer changes things. Are you having a hard time with doubt, lust, anger, bitterness? What should you do? Get in a secret place of prayer and pray to their father, your Father that sees in secret. and He'll reward you openly. There'll be some answers to that. Get your will in line with His will. It's not you getting God's will on your will. E. Stanley Jones said this. He said, when I pray, is it like somebody that has a boat hook, you know, that in the old times they throw out a hook from the boat to the shore and then they pull. You know, today we go up to the, to the dock or whatever and just tie on there. But they would throw off, throw out rather, and it would hook and they'd pull that boat hook. Do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Okay, look, you're not stretching land here, friend. Nope, it's this. I'm not pulling God onto my will. I'm pulling me to his will through prayer. Jesus said, focus on the greatness of your father and trust him for your daily need of his grace. He's sufficient. Let's stand together here today. <clears throat> How many of you with an uplifted hand could say, I know he's my father, I'm saved. I want to thank him, praise him. We had someone saved last week and they said, this is wonderful. I got to raise my hand for the very first time. Hey, don't get tired of it. I know him as my savior. Would you raise your hand to that? Amen. Praise the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask this this morning. Maybe some even watching by live stream or someone right here. How many of you would say, I don't know for sure. I'm concerned about that. I'd like to know. Anybody like that, just raise your hand. Nobody's going to come to you or embarrass you in any way. But the Bible says you can know. So I'd ask you if you do know. Is there anyone that says, I don't know for sure. I'm concerned about it. Would you just raise your hand and let me see where you are here this morning. Okay, can I ask one more question of believers here today then? How many of you would say, I... I um, I need the Lord's help in my prayer life. Would that be you? Would you raise your hand if that's you? Yes, I do. Yes, indeed. I think a good majority of the hands are raised here today. It'd be good to start with prayer, <clears throat> to respond. Say, God, I haven't been praying like I ought to. I, again, please don't misunderstand. I don't, I don't want to emphasize any kind of ritualism or mechanical, but just to have time with your Heavenly Father.
I'm going to pray and then we're going to have our invitation. Page 241, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And, and if God has touched your heart this morning and calling you back to himself, I hope you'll come. Father, this morning I want to thank you personally for this passage and, and how it has impacted my life. And I pray, God, you'd help us all to not to just be able to say we have a prayer life. That would be against the admonition of the scriptures here and would be more self-occupied. But God, would you help us, please help us, because we're so prone to being occupied with self. Would you help us, dear God, to be occupied with you in our hearts and minds? I pray that you'd help us draw us to yourself in the personal time of prayer private time of prayer and even time to respond in an invitation like this, Lord, would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen. As we begin to sing, would you come? Page 241.